Welcome to Collier's Talks, a podcast series featuring the latest trends, insights, research, and developments in commercial real estate in Canada and beyond. Hi, I'm Nick Aguineros, Executive Managing Director of Supply Chain Consulting for Collier's Canada. In this logistics disruption series for Collier's Talks Industrial, we speak with industry leaders to explore topics that are impacting the supply chain sector. We will dive into the major trends and shifts that are keeping supply chain managers awake at night as they try to plot a course to get ahead of what's next. Today, we're going to talk about cycle logistics, and we've got Sam Starr joining us from Vancouver. He's currently an independent consultant on a mission to advance sustainable transport and cycling logistics across America. He brings over a decade of experience in global logistics and final mile delivery, including work for FedEx, Logistics, Flash Global, and USPAC Logistics. A recent graduate of the Masters of Engineering Leadership Program in, in Urban Systems at the University of British Columbia, Sam is passionate about sustainable cities and mobility solutions. He holds two other degrees in both electrical and systems engineering from the University of Pennsylvania. With a personal passion for cycling, Sam's work and experiences and interests have led him to pivot his career towards advancing sustainable transport and cycle logistics. Thank you, Sam, for joining me today. Thank you, Nick, for having me. So let's start. What, what is cycle logistics and why is it such a hot topic today? So cycle logistics is the integration of bicycles into the goods movement network to, to improve the efficiency of deliveries in congested urban areas. Cycle logistics includes the use of any bicycles to move goods, whether it be you wearing a backpack, uh, having panniers on your on your rack on your bike, or cargo bikes and cargo tricycles, or even cargo quad cycles, which they have in Europe. It's a hot topic right now because cycling has taken off as a transportation mode across the world, especially in light of COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with pedal pedal assist cycles becoming more popular or otherwise known as e-bike, uh, the ability to move goods and freight with a, with a bike has grown substantially. Additionally, with businesses seeking to reduce their carbon footprints and improve sustainability, uh, integrating cycle logistics and other sustainable freight modes into their logistics networks uh, has become really a priority for many carriers and businesses, both large and small. Interesting. Okay, so the concept of the physical internet is very interesting. Can you elaborate on how that manifests itself in the logistics models? So the physical internet concept is is basically taking how how the internet works uh, by moving packets of data uh, through optimally through a node to node network a multi node network uh, essentially doing the same thing on a in a physical network so physical objects being handled moved stored can re, uh, realized supplied and used in the most efficient and optimal way. Uh, by setting standards uh, in a very way, in a way similar to like internet data transfer, uh, but applying this to uh, and doing so by setting standards for packets, other or containers in this case, and nodes such as mini hubs and micro hubs. So in concept, all of these nodes and are shared uh, are shared across carriers and providers in the system, and all these containers are also sort of shared and 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 and. Uh, and optimized as they move through the system. This type of model where it's this kind of collaborative supply chain, so to speak, uh, and, and sort of multi, uh, layered, op- layered optimization, similar to what we have with the way our internet kind of functions, uh, is a dramatic shift from the hub and spoke model pioneered by FedEx back in the 70s. Uh, and the airlines decades ago that, is, that we still see very much in use today. Um, 
with the with the proliferation of mini hubs closer to customers to meet the demands and speeds of today's consumers, which we're also seeing with but with Amazon's movements um, by putting more and more distribution centers out there and, and getting closer and closer to the customer, speeding up delivery times, uh, applying physical internet concepts, we could start seeing more collaborative spaces uh, and hopefully vehicles shared by where, both warehousing and logistics companies. And while this seems like something that can't necessarily happen, uh, with political will and government support, there are already pilots and examples of this going on in Berlin, uh, where they're getting all these companies under the same roof. While, they might, while they're not all sharing the same container, they're at least all sharing the same space and, sh and same node for that sustainable delivery network. Um, I'm so fascinated by all the by the concept of physical internet and how it applies to sustainable urban freight uh, strategy and, and program development uh, because it really does because because this this applying this concept really does allow for more sustainable transportation. If you're able to reduce the amount of let's say going from Mississauga to Toronto, if you had two nodes in between there, or a couple of nodes in between there, you could really optimize that delivery space instead of having drivers get in a car and drive back and forth between Mississauga and Toronto, carrying one package each. Uh, having one driver go between the two nodes carrying 30 packages could takes 29 cars off the road. So yeah, yeah, yeah that, that type of optimization is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it sounds essentially, it's almost like a micro, micro, uh, micro marketplace. Uh, yeah, at the at that urban street level, and the the infrastructure of the hub allows the collaboration of all of the the destination points or potential origin points yep. to collaborate and 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 share a marketplace for their transport needs. But at that micro level, like it's not a a point to point, which uh, is that that mission critical. I need to go from A to B and, and nowhere in between. And, and that hub and spoke, which is all about efficiency and the mass movement of on fixed lanes. Um, right. you've, you've got this hybrid in between, but at the micro level that uh, creates a, really solves the, or not solves it, it pushes to solve that sustainable model. And, and also by making it collaborative, brings together and hopefully makes it uh, sustainable from a profit perspective as well. And yeah, and, what, and, and what's, it, what's really fascinating when you start reading into the, the documentation uh, and the theories put out by George, by, um, one of the guys who founded this concept out of Georgia Tech is that there's like, when you, when you bring it all the way back through the supply chain to, manu to manufacturing is really where the power is. I mean, being able to the local, locally manufacturer, manufacture something and meet that demand um, meet meet the demand request through an optimized net, through a shared collaborative network can substantially reduce all of our lead times and everything that we have and mm -hmm. concepts that we've known as you know like all the ramping up for peak period for the Christmas holidays etc. You know that um, a lot of that can slowly start you know being minimized if we start looking at developing these collaborative networks and figuring out how we can better use our raw materials and better use our, our manufacturing capacity, et cetera. Like yeah. we, we wouldn't, and the, and the cost would, would ultimately go down. Cost and speed will, will cost will go down and speed will go up as a result. And service levels. So, interesting. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, service, so yeah, uh, really so fascinating. What are, some, what are some of the bottlenecks in the cyclogistics ecosystem? 
So psychologistics is interesting. I mean, here in North America, we, you know, a lot of us associate bikes not as a mode of transport, but as a mode of, uh, but as recreation. And and the industry has, the industry itself has really sort of catered, has catered to that. Um, and it's only in recent times that we're starting to see cycling coalitions get, gather a lot more uh, steam and more and more cycling infrastructure be, be built. Uh, but as a bottleneck, the cycling industry is essentially, unfortunately, one one of itself. I mean, being focused so so much focused on recreation, and not necessarily focused on the business to business aspect of it. Um, how one services and maintains their e bike, let alone their, let alone a cargo bike that they're using for commercial purposes, is all those systems have yet to really get, you know, figured out. And there are a few manufacturers that are taking quite a lead in this. That are trying to make essentially maintenance-free or close to maintenance-free type bikes that will last, you know, millions of kilometers, and then others that will, uh, yeah, which is really really cool stuff. If you ask me, um, and, like, an oil change once a year, when you're putting on, you know, tens of thousands of kilometers on a bike is and is pretty cool. Um, obviously, tires and brakes and all that are wear, typical wear and tear. Um, but yeah, the cycling industry is still very much focused on that sort of recreational rider. Uh, bikes for transport's only becoming more of a thing, particularly here in North America. In Europe, that that shift is happening a bit faster and has been over the last couple of years. And there's actually industry associations that are working to push the cycling industry to be recognized more like the automotive industry, in which case then now we see that would really remove some of the bottleneck, the bottlenecks, uh, both um, from a public and private business perspective. So, and that which leads to the other bottleneck. Yeah, which leads to the other bottlenecks, which is political will. Um, it is important that politicians at all levels of government really start realizing the the payback of active of investing in act, active transportation, whether it be you know cycling infrastructure, uh, investing in a mini hub. All these have 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 good paybacks, uh, particularly when they're done in the form of public private partnerships. And there are numerous examples around the world where the where this can really work. Uh, that demonstrators can work, and providing incentives to get people. To, to purchase an e-bike or businesses to purchase an electric cargo bike goes much further than just saying, than, than just getting them into another electric vehicle. That's gonna just sit and be a metal box on the side of the road um, in, in the city streets. So that political will is very critical. And lastly, legislation regulation. Um, the e-bike and uh, e-bike legislation, let alone bicycle legislation and regulation across North America is a patchwork and it really is almost a comic proportion. Um, it makes it very difficult for manufacturers, particularly in the cargo bike market, uh, to navigate through it. As you know, our states, uh, the states in the U.S. have all different have different rules. The provinces have different rules. Transport Canada has its set, which they're actually looking to uh, to, to remove uh, from the Motor Vehicle Act. So all these. So everyone's trying to be a bit hands off when really what we need is more of a micro mobility framework. For Canada and ultimately a make mobility framework for the U.S., something that would work that allows us that that allows not just cargo cycles but e-bikes, scooters, regular bikes. Everyone should fit into this micro mobility framework uh, to better help, better improve not only our and reduce our emissions, but also improve quality of life and allow for more of these businesses to get involved. Interesting. So you talk about the different levels of government, but I think also from a psycho logistics, municipal governments also play a role because when we talk about last mile, 
the density of urban condos, skyscrapers comes to mind, but the problem doesn't go away at city, you know, when, once you hit city limits. Does psychologistics have a play in less dense suburban environments or even rural locations? So yes, and first to address your point about, about municipalities uh, and the role, like, municipalities play a massive role in this uh, from everything from the regulation uh, to curb space to mini hubs to, you know, they, are, they are critical in, in getting these things going. And City of Montreal has done a fantastic job with the Colibri project that they launched uh, to really demonstrate the power of psychologistics uh, using their old bus station, reallocating the old bus station and uh, letting Purolator and some other and, and some other delivery firms operate out of it. So that, so from an urban perspective, that is, yes, the municipality plays a massive role and I'd love to see more municipalities step up to the plate to really, you know, push and try and uh, more progressive um, programs with psychologistics. When it comes to the suburban environments, the answer is it can. Um, and a lot of it comes down to this, going back to this sort of physical internet concept, uh, again, is, if we were, if you set up this massive network, um, like one wouldn't think that Mississauga is a great location for uh, for for psychologistics. However, if you have a network of mini hubs that are all supporting the the the, the business, the local businesses and local res and residences around there, also you know, then even with the low, lesser density, this can still you know, and you're and when you add that to uh, like zero emission zones or a or a zero emission delivery zone or something that's that's put out by the municipality, then whether it be suburban or, or urban, uh, now all of a sudden you're changing the game and now you're forcing these business uh, now you're getting businesses to do so. Um, that said, there are some examples of lesser dense cities uh, across Europe um, that that are experimenting with psychologistics. And, and are still finding very much success with it, particularly when they're trying to take their little, their even denser urban core and make that, um, their slightly denser urban core and, and make that zero emissions, uh, the, being able to say, all right, well, let's, let's experiment with more hubs around there uh, or, or more solutions for, for, um, for these cargo bikes, that can be done. Um, so, so the answer is yes. It, yes, uh, it does take a bit more work, uh, but I think businesses will start seeing the benefit. I mean, obviously, uh, one other thing to point out there is obviously, like we, companies are so fascinated by use of just of drones. Well, drones work very well in a rural environment, you know, and and places where the cost of doing that final mile is enormous. Uh, and you're driving, you know, ten kilometers one way just to make a delivery. Um, or a few cars one way to make a delivery. The cost of that delivery is huge. So that's where things like drones fit in and also for medical, urgent medical and, and otherwise, but we don't necessarily want drones flying around our cities. Uh, that's, not, that's not safe. It's also not, not comfortable for a lot of people from a privacy perspective, et cetera. So, um, so there's a place for everything in this, in, in the supply chain. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that yes, psychologistics does have its place, can it work in suburbs? Yes, uh, it may involve special conditions in order to work in suburbs. There have been there have been solutions where it's worked in office parks uh, in Europe, 
Um, those are those for doing delivery in those office park. Everything gets dropped into a container at the at the outside of the office park, and then all the regular deliveries are just done by a cargo bike. And it actually helps the larger logistics firm or the mail or the mail organization save an enormous amount of of. Um, yeah, exactly. Save more enormous amount of time and parking, et cetera. So like those types of solutions are definitely feasible. They're, I mean, it's not what we typically think of when we think of cycle logistics, but yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and then switching tracks from an industrial real estate perspective, what are some of the impacts that you expect cycle logistics to have? I think there are, there are a couple impacts that we, that we'll see. First is is reallocation of street and parking lots towards micro hubs and consolidation centers. Uh, we're already seeing some of this today. There are some companies uh, that are operating in the U.S. Uh, and Canada that are that are considering uh, reallocating their current parking, their lesser used parking lots, uh, into some form of small hub, mobility hub, whether that be for. I mean, it might start with a bike share, but it will might also turn into this urban urban delivery uh, partnership. So there's that. Uh, I think there's there's also a recent movement to eliminate the parking minimums for new developments in cities, uh, as we have very much an oversupply today, and and of course in many of um, and building all these parking structures, many of these are subterranean right now in in, in Canada, and. By having all these parking lots, it does have a huge impact on what mode you choose. You know, you know, if you can find parking and you have a car, you're going to take your car downtown. Um, and businesses know if they can find parking, they're going to take their vehicle downtown. I think with parking minimums starting to be removed, and the city of Vancouver actually made a statement about this recently, um, they're exploring this. Uh, we will have a we will have to see better curb management from the municipalities themselves, and. Cycle logistics can play a big role in in that um, in in that sort of change in the, in the urban life in, in the urban form. Um, additionally, given the need for local manufacturing, I mean, cargo cycles are are heavy. They're big. <laughs> they're transporting shipping them from Europe gets very expensive, and they're already expensive enough to build. So, we with our manufacturing excess manufacturing capacity that we have in our country, uh, I think that there's an opportunity for us to look at more localized manufacturing, whether it be licensing from a manufacturer in Europe or be creating our own cargo bikes uh, and, and companies stepping up to the plate and trying to leverage that. I mean, yet ultimately the, the, the difference in shipping, you know, ship, shipping some of these bikes, unless you're shipping a container of them, but shipping a bike individually from Europe gets very, gets very expensive and makes the costs in some ways even prohibitive today. So that's, it's part of a it's part of a challenge that we have yeah. to add, but but definitely an impact that I think we'll see on the industrial scale as mobility really starts to take off as as a solution to as a as a key player in reducing carbon emissions. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. Um, so let's jump now to sustainability. So how does psychologistics fit in and support sustainable initiatives and strategies? So psychologistics. And the bike is really, or the bicycle rather, is one of the few transportation solutions that provide really a triple bottom line solution, sustainable solution for freight. Uh, University of Toronto study showed that replacing a delivery van with a cargo cycle can remove 1.9 metric tons of CO2 per year. Wow. Uh, not only is the cargo cycle more affordable than your average delivery van, uh, but the pedal assist means that for the driver, this is a form of active transportation. So they're getting exercise during the day. 
uh, and can result in a reduction in public health costs as you, you know, get more of the, as you scale this. Uh, the societal benefits go even further when you add the benefits of cycling and social interactions as a result of more of a life-size city, you know, getting out of the cars and people more interacting together, uh, creating more community. So it's really, it really hits both the financial, social, and environmental uh, benefits. Uh, and it really would behoove governments at all levels to consider a network of, of mini hubs and, and incentivizing cycle uh, entrepreneurs to, be, to look into cycle logistics and do for delivery, as well as to create these cargo bike, cargo cycles. Um, because in a, you know, in a world it, where the supply chains are going uh, with, as we're seeing with more Amazon uh, hubs closer and closer to, to the end consumers uh, and this physical internet concept, which is really kind of where, what Amazon's laying the groundwork for, you could, you could, you could argue, um, moving towards that physical internet, the cargo cycle could be king and really, really could be king for first, last and really, and only mile delivery. And there's enormous benefit here uh, for courier companies who long had just one or two big hubs across the area and have their drivers driving all over uh, regional areas, uh, all over metro regions. Um, you know, looking at how to shift to a more to a more multi micro hub network, and these hubs don't need to be expensive. These hubs don't need to be like they, they could. They could be shipping containers that take over uh, parking spots or be in these under up subterranean um, parking lots that, that you set up a network with. I mean, there are so many ways to do this. And it really is something that I think we're gonna start seeing more and more companies experiment with and uh, build, out, build out networks to do so. Yeah, it's uh, interesting the application of uh, you know, facility specialization where you have the, mm -hmm. the, the, the micro hub um, really about the, the local PNB, and then you're moving the sortation back into a, a more fixed infrastructure, a larger facility that's able to handle throughput and volumes. Mm -hmm. So you're going away from that centralized fewer bigger to many smaller, essentially. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And the ones that, and that actually leads to another, another good example, like DHL in, in Europe is, has been experimenting with these uh, city containers developed by a company called Velov, uh, and they basically sort these at their main sortation center, which is often at an airport, uh, and then they sort them on sort, let's say, three of them onto a trailer, already pre already pre sorted for the postal codes that they're going to. Then when they when they drive to the location where their where the bikes are, or they in some cases use a uh, canal boat to get the to get to where the but to get that is that has the bikes that goes to its pre uh, its set location where they dispatch from then the they load these containers onto the bikes and off they go and it's a very seamless process it reduces handling uh and it reduces another sort to be had while you're you know while you're en route so it allows these businesses to just create uh new con uh local uh consolidation further up in the supply chain which dramatically helps companies like a DHL or a FedEx or UPS. You know, that's really where they would get the most benefit out of this, other than having to manually load um, on site at a mini hub necessarily onto these bikes. And the same thing works in reverse, which is really kind of cool too. Is they they go do their deliveries, they come back, pick up either swap to get another uh, to get another container to do more deliveries, or they go out with an empty container and then pick up do all their pickups, come back, and then that. 
that container goes back and gets loaded into the system. So really the systems integration piece is the more powerful part of this. And the mini containerization is just taking a concept that we developed that the world sort of took, developed and uh, capitalized on back in the sixties and takes it into, and, and really makes it work on a more micro level, um, which allows for faster distribution, faster delivery uh, and, uh, and sort of seamless integration of different between different modes. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the concept of the uh, the container transformed the global supply chains and, yeah. and facilitated the globalization of trade and manufacturing and goods movement. And now exactly. you know, containers at the at the micro level uh, transforming the the last mile. So it's really right. it, it is taking that unit load mentality um, and mm -hmm. separating the container from the chassis. So that's mm -hmm. that's, that's very cool. That's a great case study. Um, yeah, on what they're doing. And imagine if you and imagine if you take the physical internet concept and apply it to that, and the drive and it doesn't matter whether you're sending post or or shipping a parcel with UPS, FedEx, DHL, or whatever you're shipping, and the driver comes around and knows you have a pickup. The driver comes around, picks it up, and then it gets to where it needs to go, regardless. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know whether we'll ever see that day in our lifetime. I would hope that we hope that we will. Um, but I think that there's a lot of great opportunity for, for businesses to start thinking like that. And the, the power of that collaboration will help everybody uh, in this, in, as we look to reduce costs and optima and seek to, you know, improve social benefits. So I mean, there's so many, there's so many downstream effects to that, just, you know, that these types of supply chain collaborations uh, that will benefit society and the environment and more that I think there's, it's worth more businesses looking to explore it. Uh, yeah, it seems like all the all the pieces are coming together, and once once that that picture comes and everything is in place, then it's you just said it. it it's the benefits are not just one one dimensional. There's so many yeah. aspects that this is going to uh, drive significant improvements. So that's amazing. We talked a couple different things. So from let's to wrap it up, what are your top three big impacts that cycle logistics are going to have on the supply chain? and industrial real estate sectors? So from a supply chain perspective, I see Cyclogistics as an opportunity to build towards more collaborative and sustainable pickup and delivery models um, with micro hubs. And as I just was saying about the physical internet and hopefully soon to be more physical internet collaborative networks. Uh, and this has implications for real estate, specifically reallocation of commercial and industrial space, lots and buildings to micro hubs and consolidation centers, uh, as well as using our excess manufacturing capacity and turning them into micromobility manufacturers, uh, whether it be for e-bikes e e or cargo cycles, scooters, whatever, you know, the mobility revolution is, is really here right now. Um, and we have an opportunity to lower the cost of the buyer and create more jobs while spurring a market, you know, and, and we, you know, so with, so I think that's a great opportunity. Uh, the success of cycle logistics in European markets and cities like Montreal and New York is evidence that change is afoot in the, in the supply chain and logistics sectors. It's, it is time for logistics companies, couriers, manufacturers, and even and the real estate sector to seriously think about what the future of their business is and how they can look towards creating more sustainable solutions to reinvent their business and address, their, address the needs of their clients and, and their businesses in a world of climate change and COVID. So I really think this is, this is, a, this is a great opportunity. Uh, and 
everyone at all levels, um, industrial, commercial, and residential real estate as well, all have, all have different uh, benefits they can gain from, from psychologistics uh, and applications of the new mobility world and more sustainable freight programs. So, yeah, that's a, and, and COVID, you know, that's a whole other conversation where we didn't get into that here, but definitely a lot of disruption and, uh, and speeding up of change in the, uh, in the supply chain space. So we'll, we'll park that one. Uh, this has been a great conversation, Sam. I really appreciate the insights that you've shared and uh, shared with our listeners. Uh, thank you for joining me. And I want to thank everyone for listening in. Uh, please join us again as we explore the intersection of industrial real estate and supply chain operations in our next episode. Thank you, Nick, for having me. Really appreciate it. This has been fun. Great. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Collier's Talks podcast. To learn more about Collier's Canada, our experts, and our solutions, visit colliers.canada.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.